Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with an executive coach. This person has been coaching senior leaders in organisations for a number of years and has got a lot of lessons to share. I hope you'll agree. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking with an executive coach. Hello there, Mike Dennison. Hi. Hi, Lee. I'm How very good. How are you? Yeah, excellent. Thanks. Oh. It's sunny uh, out here, so... Did- uh, Did you say it's sunny? It is sunny. Oh wow, yeah. wow! It's a it's a little bit windy and rainy where I am. So I'm in the south of Wales at the minute. We've been uh, I was hit with quite a lot of wind um, this morning on my way down. And somebody actually, when I uh, when I when I got down, they said uh, they said Did you Did you see the cheese factory when you were coming down and all all of the wind? I said I said no, the cheese factory. They said yeah yeah that one with the that one with the roof off. I said no no I didn't see it. They said uh, debris everywhere. Um, <coughs> so yeah, so that's uh, that was. Uh, an attempted joke, that Mike. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, anyway, okay. So, uh, for those people that don't know you, who are you, and and how have you got to sit in the, in the, in this seat where you are today? Okay. Well, my name is Mike Dennison. Um, I call myself an executive coach. I've been coaching now in business and organisations for well over twenty years, really. Uh, I guess I've worked in manufacturing a good chunk of my life, apart from the last twenty twenty three years. Uh, where I've been consulting and coaching uh, with many, many different organisations. Uh, I, I can name a few of them, but I've been very fortunate to work with Mercedes, uh, Benz, uh, Mercedes Trucks, Ford Motor Company, uh, Jaguar Land Rover, Rolls Royce, amongst a few. Um, so I feel very fortunate to be able to uh, share my knowledge and my experience over the years. Um, as I say, I, I started in manufacturing and worked most of my life. I was very fortunate to have had a, an experience where I was recruited to be one of the first leaders in uh, Toyota manufacturing in the engine plant in the early 90s. Uh, learned a lot from the Japanese, which has really put me in good stead for helping other organizations uh, understand a lot about how that organization thinks. Um, so that's a, a little bit about me. I guess if, if you want to know anything more from a personal point of view, uh, I used to race motorbikes and I'd probably say that you know, out of everything that I do, I focus on uh, developing myself, adventure, courage, um, commitment to all doing things, and it sort of falls into my personal life as well, business life. Fantastic. So, what what is an executive coach? Okay, well, an executive coach is someone who generally works at a higher level in organisations, uh, more senior people, although you can work at uh, other levels. Uh, and the purpose of a coach is to really get out of the way of the people who are trying to make improvements, but be there sufficiently enough to help develop their thinking, expand their awareness, um, and develop their capability for taking themselves forward. Most people have the capacity to think their way through things, but they get stuck in their own heads. Sometimes they have uh, beliefs, limitations, uh, and uh, some elements that go on within themselves which, which prevent them from moving forward. Sometimes it's just literally an overload of, uh, of uh, the work that they might be working on. So my role as a coach is to take them out of themselves to think more clearly, uh, expand their awareness so they can think of uh, new ways of acting on a situation or an opportunity. Got you, got you. What's, what's the difference between a coach, a mentor and a consultant because I see I see different people call themselves different names so how, how is a coach different okay it's a, it's a very good question um, if I start by breaking it down looking at each one if you think of a consultant a consultant generally has done it before they've got lots of experience lots of years uh, of expertise in, in a particular subject and they would go into organizations and they would guide and support those organizations to apply what they have learned, where the organization wants to use that knowledge. A mentor is again, someone who's done it before, very similar to a consultant, but very often um, it's more on a one-to-one basis with a mentor uh, and you would be trying to help that person grow and develop as an individual. 
you may use some coaching techniques, but most of the time you will probably be giving them advice yeah. and getting them to apply that advice. A coach really is somebody who has the capacity, capability to use questions in a very creative way that makes the person think, reflect, gain new insights, uh, develop motivation towards doing things and get clarity on what it is they're trying to achieve and fundamentally find ways of taking action to move themselves forward. So a coach would really drive a lot more reflection than sometimes you might get from a mentor. Yeah. So would would you say? In fact, let me let me rephrase it rather than would you say. So, which of those three has the greatest chance of uh, of sustaining whatever it is that you're coaching, mentoring, or consulting? It depends. <clears throat> it's not a straightforward answer. Uh, if you have a lack of knowledge that you don't really know what actions to take, even a coach will not be able to help you get to those ways forward if you don't have any access to that knowledge anyway so a consultant or a mentor will probably be a, a ideal for getting you to start on, on a journey yeah. However, once you've started to develop some knowledge and you have uh, some background in, in moving forward then a coach would probably be more successful in enabling that person to think something forward for themselves the whole idea about coaching really is to develop a level of resourcefulness so that the person can move themselves forward without the coach. Whereas to some extent, a consultant likes the idea of being the people being dependent yeah. on them. A uh, mentor doesn't accept, doesn't really want to be dependent, but they accept that the person probably needs their expertise to be able to make decisions. All right, okay, so it's dependent upon the level of, of knowledge that the uh, the coachy or mentee is, is starting with. Is, it, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you're talking about things like life coaching or something else, some, some other types of coach, then generally within life, most people can find a way forward with something. But when you move into business, uh, an executive coach has a level of business acumen. They have many models and techniques that they probably use to try and help people think their way forward. Uh, and so uh, the, the coach, the coach's role is to try and connect with those people who already have some access to information and knowledge and experience, yeah. but they probably never really put it in the same context in the situation that they might be in, whereas the coach might be able to help them to see the context of how they could move themselves forward without necessarily telling them what to do. Got you, got you. And and why are you pitching yourself, why, why executive coach? So, because some things when I, when I read about improvement and stuff, it's all about bottom up. Um, executive coach infers top down. Um, so what, what's yeah. your take on that? It's, a, it's an interesting uh, level to sort of look at because I pitch myself as an executive coach. I left Toyota as a consultant. I did lots of training, lots of uh, courses, lots of working with different levels of an organization. And fundamentally, it was about putting a lot of lean tools and techniques in place, helping people to understand, you know, about building uh, pull systems, frameworks for uh, more uh, improved problem solving, developing methods for taking waste out of the business. And after a while, one of the things I recognized, probably quite quickly really, two or three years, uh, is that actually most organizations can get this level of knowledge uh, from a book these days. Yeah. And the weaknesses of a lot of organizations is the leader's ability to understand how to engage with their staff to support, motivate, and you're going to use the word drive, but what I mean by that, set direction for how best to apply a lot of these things. And so I found that by developing techniques that I could work with the senior leaders, I could help them recognize what their role was in developing a culture of continuous improvement. And it's quite a bit different from a traditional management role, which is very much around, we send people away to be trained, we bring them back into the organization, they apply it, and I go and check that it's working. Whereas an, a coach, a leader within um, an organization that really is trying to develop an operational excellence framework and culture, lean culture, if you want, for want of a better way of looking at it, then their role very much is about engaging with the people and understanding their thinking way, understanding the maturity of their thinking. And you can't really do that unless you're engaging with people. So it's how do you find windows of time, space, and um, structures to be able to observe, ask questions, understand how that person's thinking, and then ask the right question that makes them think in a more mature way. 
Got you. Got you. Okay. okay. So um, your your way or the, the the way that you're you're advocating is different to um, a lot of a lot of other ways. If you were um, if you were going into a business now that had got, because I, I guess there's different levels of maturity in organisations as well. There's those of have tried improvements. There's those that have not tried improvements, um, and there's those that are, um, I guess, relatively mature in in the, their improvement as well. Would would you recommend that all three of those, so um, no improvement, um, failed improvement, and mature improvement, can all benefit from an executive coach or from coaching? Or, or would another alternative approach be better for them? It's, it's a blending, really. Um, when you think about it, if they've got no experience of continuous improvements and they're starting on the path, then the value of an executive coach might be in helping them set a level of de- direction and get an understanding of the context of what's involved for them to actually start on that journey. If they've got a failed approach, then probably an executive coach if the organization's open for it, would probably help them understand where they were failing and what the constraints were that was preventing it. And it would probably fall more within the framework of what those leaders were actually doing. And if the organization's doing fairly well at it, the executive coach again could probably help them take them to another level of thinking about what else could they apply. So it's a bit of blended um, approach really. I think it's really down to understanding the, the organization. If I go into organizations, if I get invited in, one of the first things I try to do is, is, is where are they on the journey yeah. so that I actually support them and engage with them. And very often I will say, you know what, you don't really need what I can give you at this point in time. I've got four or five people, four or five organizations that I would recommend that would get you started on this. They give you some basic overview. They'd start the ball rolling. They put some simple techniques in place and start to engage your staff. But then when you started with that, perhaps invite me in for half a day and we'll have a talk about how it's maturing and where I can help you. Got you, got you. So so I've got, um, I'm a complete advocate of what you're saying as well. So I, I genu- generally believe that uh, leadership uh, behaviours create the environment that, that people are, are living in um, and currently. So if you're going to influence a change in leadership behaviour, then uh, that influences employee engagement, influences customer satisfaction, and then also um, supports business target uh, achievement or business achieving business results. So how do you, how do you, which is, I guess, if you're trying to pitch to um, to say actually it's the leadership behaviour that needs to change first. Um, but people have got just have got a perception that actually they just need to go and fix a problem, make processes more efficient, or what? How how do you bridge that gap and let them hold that mirror up to themselves to say actually it's you that needs to change first? How do you get them to see that? Uh, it, it's it's a good one. I do have a couple of different techniques for that. Uh, you know, I have a um, a maturity assessment that I can use if the organisation's open for that. But very often, one of the first um, engagements I will have is, is try to run a bit of what I call a day in the life of. So I'll spend a day or two in that organization with the leaders trying to understand how they approach leadership at this point in time. Um, and with utilizing that approach, nine times out of 10, the conversations that we have, they start to become somewhat uncomfortable, but they gain insights that actually, do you know what, there's maybe some things that they could do more of. And then obviously the feedback from the day in the life can obviously get them to reflect a little bit more. And then building on that, we can then identify where their major constraints are and what they need to focus on. Because actually a lot of organizations have put some great lean tools in place, but they don't sustain them for a number of reasons. But also there's some weaknesses in a number of other areas. There's usually weakness in their their transparency of how they're performing and how they're managing their problems. There's weaknesses in how they actually um, lead engage and manage problems to a point of getting to the root cause instead of lots of quick fixes and there's also weaknesses in how they engage with their staff to understand what issues their staff have got and what actual tool technique or approach would best help them yeah how, how do you uh, when you started that you said that you make them feel uncomfortable how do you how do yeah. you make them feel uncomfortable in so early um into your engagement with them uh, literally through questions. I, I don't tell them that they're doing anything wrong. I said, just let's let's walk around and have a look what's going on in your site. You know, show me what you've done that's good. Um, you know, invite me to a meeting or two. Let me understand how you approach it. You know, show me how you engage with your staff. And in those conversations, 
I might ask certain things, which it's a bit difficult to sort of say, because I'm trying to think of a, maybe a, an example, but it's not coming immediately to mind. But in the questions and the conversations that we have, generally they start to ask me a few questions. Well, what about this? What about that? And that, that always tells me that now they're starting to get inquisitive about what they should be doing. Yeah. I guess your reference point of what good looks like is, is different to what their reference point of what good looks like. Um, because yeah, because they might not have seen it. So it's like that old Henry Ford quote, isn't it? Um, around, uh, if I asked the customers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Um, so yeah. how do you get them to see that it's not a faster horse they want and it's a car? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the key element of this is I can't really show them what it should be like. Yeah. Because the truth is, sometimes they just wouldn't believe me because it's so far outside of their comfort zone of what they understand is possible um sometimes i can invite them into organizations that i've worked with or you know even into toyota um, where they can get a sense of it but the risk with that is what they often end up seeing is the tools and techniques that these organizations have put in place to solve their problems which is actually missing the dialogue and the thinking that goes on in their own organization so what I'm trying to do really is, is give them enough so that they recognize that they can work on something. And it's not that I'm holding back. It's just that it's a bit like if I, I, let's think of a, a scenario to try and explain it. If you were trying to teach somebody to be a world-class tennis player and they were barely okay at tennis, you probably couldn't show them the absolute best shots that they would make because they haven't built up to that yet you'd have to take them on some shots which are matching their level and then they would run those shots and realize what what success that was being and then you could add another couple of shots in or another couple of techniques so it's not that you're actually holding back on them it's more you're pacing their learning so it fits their needs at that time and if you build enough confidence and trust with them they'll know that you're actually trying to help them there um, but the only other way to actually show them is, is, is you know let them actually see it in real life in, a, in another organization or, or a world-class organization that they can get a reference for. The difficulty with that, of course, is if it's outside of the frame of reference for the type of business that they're in, you know, the typical thing you'll have is, is I go into hospitals sometimes and the first thing they say is we're not a car manufacturing plant, you know, or we don't, we, we don't make widgets or we don't make plastic. You know, we're a hospital, we look after people. Well, of course, what you're not doing is you're not trying to uh, adopt and adapt the techniques which fit into a manufacturing plant. You're trying to adopt and apply the principles and the thinking that would work in your environment. So how do you do that? How do you get them to see that it's actually um, relevant to them? I, I try to bring it back more onto the principle element. And again, that's a big part of what I coach is if you're really trying to, if you're really serious to take your organization forward, one aspect of that is being very clear on what principles you want to operate on. And they may well have to amend or adjust or challenge some of their existing values and principles because they might not either be explicit enough or they might not really frame a sense of direction that they're looking for, which is about engaging their people to develop and grow their people so that people have an interest in wanting to improve their own work environment, which fundamentally improves the business capability. So when you say principles, just give us an example of principles, just so we're... So, for example, if, 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 if I go back to Toyota as an example, yeah. people will have seen this. Uh, the Toyota fundamental, Toyota five main principles, and they have a lot more that sits behind this, but the fundamental main principles are focused on respect for people, which is, which is what they call pillar number one, and continuous improvement is pillar number two. But in respect for people, the fundamental principle is we drive and encourage and work and develop teams. So teamwork is a big principle for them. The second one is we drive and focus on developing mutual trust and respect within the organization so that we can share things and we can be open so we can really get to the root cause of issues. So respect for people, mutual trust and teamwork are, are two clear principles that Toyota operate in. On the other side of the of the uh, pillars is the continuous improvement and the three main principles they operate there is a continual drive for improvement through kaizen the idea of experimental working to try and prove that you can make an improvement from a to b so you measure before you measure after and then you experiment to prove that you can actually make a change that's sustainable 
Um, the idea of continual challenge, never accepting the status quo, so there's always ways we can improve things. And then the third one, in Toyota, we call it Genshi Genbutsu, which fundamentally means, you know, go to the Gemba, you know, focus on, go look and see, find out the truth of the business, and then use that environment to coach and support and develop people so that they can see the same truth as you. And that, that's the principles for Toyota. Now, if I think of some principles that other organizations have worked on, they may be appropriate, but very often they want to develop their own. So, for example, principles that I often see that companies want to put in place are we lead by coaching or we lead with questions as being a fundamental principle. You know, we don't think we know it all. We always lead with questions to try and make people think a little bit broader. Um, another principle that I've seen with organizations is we, we, we strive to eliminate waste in our organization, you know, as being yeah. a principle. So that constantly people are looking at that. Um, another one is we continue to grow and develop our people, you know. So an example of a couple of principles there. But the fundamental idea is once you can establish principles that are meaningful for the leadership team, you can then use those principles as a way of leading and engaging with your staff. Got you, got you. Um, one of the things that you said right at the start of that then was around uh, building trust. How do yeah. you get a, um, or support a leader to see that actually it's not a high trust environment and that they need to develop trust? And then how do they go about developing trust? Because tr not having trust prevents so much. Um, so how, how do you get them to overcome it? Uh, it's interesting you're talking about that because I'm actually in the process of developing a workshop now for a senior executive group of people, um, which is fundamentally built around that. Now, um, there's two, two or three ways. Well, there's, there's many ways you can actually understand it. First off is understanding, do they know what trust is made up of? You know, because it's an amalgamation of a number of different things. You know, it's, it's about being open, it's about high integrity and things like that, but it's amalgamation. So once you can understand that they do understand what trust means, then you can work it in their language. The second thing is they probably already have some employee surveys, employee engagement surveys, and generally one of those questions will be around how trusting the environment is. So you can often use that as a, as a level of intelligence that the team and the, and the senior leaders can see uh, a way of doing it. I also have a methodology that I use, which I use, a, you know, a survey methodology that I've built around a model, um, which actually enables me to understand how people think within that senior leadership team, what levels of trust exist either within the team or within the organization. Uh, and so we can get, you know, basically blind feedback, um, you know, anonymous feedback, so we can get a sense about, you know, what how trusting is this environment. Once you show that, it's basically showing the mirror up against them and their insights that they get from that, we can then start to have conversations about how we build and develop trust in the organisation. How do you get them to see that actually it's a, a high environment, a high trusting environment is required? Because um, that requires a leader to, to, to I guess, to, um, to push down activities and, and actions to the lowest capable level rather than them holding on to a lot of the stuff. Yeah, well, to start off, what they have to recognise is that People will not share problems with yeah. them if they trust their leader. They will hide things. So therefore, we look for examples of where it may be where in the organization things are becoming uh, exposed. Problems are being hidden. Problems are being um, driven underground as opposed to brought to the surface. So I will often use that as, as a means for understanding it, either through conversations or questions. I can also use the concept of problem solving. So if I do problem solving, support for leaders i generally don't teach problem solving techniques because there's so many other people doing it the weakness in most organizations that leaders don't really utilize their, their ability as a leader to engage and support problem solving so i will use them to go out into the shop floor and start to dig around a little bit with questions and we then start to recognize how much easier it is to solve a problem when people are more open and then they start to uh, to question themselves actually how could we get people to be even more open and then the trust concept comes up about well how do we develop even more trust in people but you've got to give them some accountability you need to hold them accountable but at the same time it's not about telling them that they failed if they don't achieve it it's about helping them to see for themselves about what they could do differently and that's a whole different leadership engagement around 
you know, asking questions and making people think for themselves so it develops. Yeah, them. yeah. Okay. And you've used a keyword quite a lot um, so far whilst we've been talking, the, the, the questions. Do you have... Yeah. Um, a, I guess because you've been a, you've been coaching for for such a long period of time, you, they, these will just come naturally to you. But if somebody wanted to be a coach, or if somebody was starting their coaching journey, do you have a key set of questions or an approach to coaching that you could share with us that that somebody could 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 give a whirl, could try? Yeah, there is. I mean, I mean let me put it this this in context a little bit. Um, in my experience since leaving Toyota, I've recognized that there are actually four different levels of coaching that happens in an organization. Um, and, and level one is where the leaders have almost learned a set, set of questions that they can use repeatedly. Um, they're not designed in the moment. The questions are almost you know, driven because the questions are most obvious for that situation. So the situational... Um, an example of that is, I don't know whether you are familiar with Kata, yeah. the concept of Kata. Well, Kata has five main questions. You know, what's your target condition? What's your current situation? You know, what's the gap and the obstacles that you're trying to work on? Uh, which obstacle are you working on now? Uh, and what's your next step? Okay, what will you actually go away and do? Well, that's a pattern of questions. And that's what I call a level one. It's very easy to teach people a pattern of questions. And very often, one of the first things I'll do in organizations, I will actually teach them a set of patterns. And I have about 10 different patterns that they can use. Patterns for like CATA and continuous improvement, patterns for, for driving standardization, patterns around problem solving, patterns around um, understanding who the customer is and the customer focus, patterns around you know understanding the, the, the individual team's capability. So you can teach those, and that's what I call a level one. Level two is where the person's actually taken it to another level and they've developed the ability to listen, the ability to help people set goals, the ability to have meaningful conversations such as grow or T-grow, whether you've ever heard yeah. of that model. Um, but the model itself lends itself to creative questions. So once you've gone through level one and you then develop the skills about how to have a meaningful conversation that's outside of a pattern question, then you can actually apply that and so therefore you're moving into a level two and that's the first level of of um explorative coaching that i would talk about with leaders level so, three sorry, Mike, is just one one question yeah. when you when you say t-grow just for those people that haven't heard of t-grow what, what what does that stand yeah. for so so t-grow comes from the model um, developed by um sir john whitmore which is the grow model which is goals you know understanding what somebody's goal is understanding what the um their uh, reality is understanding their options or their choices to go take it forward and understanding their way forward you know and what will or commitment do they have behind that well you can add a t on the front which gives a topic which actually sets a context for the conversation so t for topic g for goals r for reality o for options and w for way forward and will and what's, what's the fundamental difference between level one and, and level two? Because if you just if you look at those those coldly and you look at well, you, uh, level one you ask for a target condition and level two you ask for um, a goal. What's what? There's no difference. There's, there's no difference. Perhaps in some of the questions, the difference is the person's maturity and ability to have a coaching conversation that is outside of the pattern. Yep. So leaders struggle sometimes to ask questions anyway. They, they want to be directive because they think they need to demonstrate their value by showing what they actually know. So there's a tendency for them to either use leading questions if they ask them or very close questions. Now, you've got to develop that capability for a leader to actually use more open questions and have an explorative conversation, not trying to force the conversation into a particular direction. Whereas pattern questions at level one is very much around leaders really using the questions to get the person to go to a particular direction of thinking. So level two moves it to more open. Yep. And level three takes it to another level again. So it's not just about having the ability to ask questions. Now you're understanding a level of emotional intelligence and a level of human thinking and human behavior. So you've understood a little bit about psychology, about what motivates people, about what you know how to develop an awareness of someone's values and, and, um, and their the various limitations and their beliefs and how you can support that. And, and you can take a leader in an organization all the way up through level one, two and three over a period of time. Uh, and some leaders who commit to that become excellent leaders and 
excellent leading with questions leaders uh, who, who will take their organizations forward. Now a level four, you can develop that in an organization, but most times a level four is usually an external coach, rather like myself. And the reason for that is they've developed expertise over many, many, many years, business acumen, awareness of psychology, awareness of human behavior, awareness about what that business is trying to do, awareness about the subjects that they're working in so that you can work around that when you're with the business. You can develop that. In fact, Toyota now actually has internal coaches who operate at a level four level. But it definitely doesn't work in lots of organizations because when you get to a senior leadership level, they will often not confide with anyone internally because it might expose something that they don't want to share at this stage in their career. Yeah. So external could be a lot more valuable for them in that way. Got you. How do you get... Um, if we just go back to level two to level three, how do you get or support a leader to move from level two, so it's open questions, listening, um, and and they're able to navigate that conversation to, to one where they can start to recognise um, levels of, of emotion? Well, you have to you have to immerse them in an environment where they can practice that. There's a whole series of techniques that you can do around developing emotional intelligence, developing an awareness about what's important to other people. Uh, developing uh, what the motivational factors are of people. To, you know, if you, I don't know whether you, you're aware of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, but there's a whole series of techniques that you can build into that around meta-programming and things like that. Uh, I won't go into the detail, but fundamentally, the techniques about trying to understand how a person's thinking and where they actually are on their motivational scale. And once you understand that, you can then use questions which get the person to reflect on that for themselves. So in the workshops that I will often run or the training sessions when I'm working with organizations, I bring a lot of these techniques and they're very immersive. So it's a real opportunity for the people who are going through that to practice it, practice it in a safe place with some of their colleagues before they then go to practice it out in the business. Yeah, so is there anything you can share to, I, I guess, for somebody to try? Um, so could you show anything now for that if somebody's listening that they want you to try actually coaching and they don't, they don't know whether they are a level one, a level two or a level three and what are the signs, how would they know and then what are the next steps? I guess I guess what I'm asking Mike is uh, can you show some of your secrets? Oh absolutely, they're not secrets at all. I mean very often I've learned on the shoulders of other great people anyway so uh, you know all I do is transfer as much of my knowledge to as many people as I can so that they can be successful in what they're doing. So there's no secrets there. Uh, what I would suggest is that there are there are techniques around the pattern coaching, pattern questions. I'll give you one that people will find quite useful, and that is the pattern around how do you enable people to think about standardization in an organization. So a question that a leader should ask is, is there a standard? One of the first questions he should be asking if there's a problem is, is there a standard? Or, you know, even if there's something going on in the organization, you know, we're trying to make an improvement with this. Is there a standard? Second question he would ask is, what is the standard? And the reason for that is you're trying to get people to articulate that they understand it. So now you can assess their maturity about what they understand the standard to be. Third question is probably the most meaningful, and I'll link that with something I'm going to give you after, is why is the standard important? And this is the, often an area where people struggle because if you can't articulate why a standard is important, then you don't understand the standard or the need for a standard. And when you can articulate it, then it becomes very obvious why a standard is important and why we should follow it. And then the, the last, cup, last question really is, it's what will you do to follow or maintain the standard going forward? But you could also ask, you know, what, what, um, is the standard adequate for what we're trying to achieve or in what ways could we improve on the standard? Now that's a pattern of five or six questions that a leader can learn, but incredibly powerful when they're walking around and out in, the, in, their, in their shop environments, engaging with people to understand and to demonstrate the standards are important. Yep. So there's one thing, level one. Level two, one of the big things is, is, is having the ability to ask meaningful questions and i have a model that i've used and developed called the five levels of questioning um, and level one is where a, a leader really asks naive questions generally leading questions and they don't have a lot of meaning that sits behind they do because the leader knows knows he needs to ask the question 
but really he doesn't get a lot of benefit from it and the person he's asking the question of doesn't get a lot of benefit. So he might ask something like, have you done such and such a thing? Well, it's a closed question or um, does this have to ha work this way? It's too closed. The person's not thinking anywhere near deeply enough so that the leader can assess how mature his thinking is. So that's a level one. A level two is what I call superior questions where a leader will often use a question and frame it in a reference to demonstrate that they're the expert. So the question comes back on them so they can tell someone something. For example, you have done this uh, with John, haven't you, Dave? So he's implying that, you know, that the guy must have done it or um, uh, make sure when you, when you contact uh, John that you ask him about this, this and this. So he's guiding the person through his question. It's what I call a superior question. A level three, which is where a lot of leaders are in their questioning, is they tend to ask questions, what, why, when, where, who. But they ask questions to gather information for themselves so that they become the expert at solving the problem. So that's what I call a level yeah. three. Now, leaders should move up to a level four, where you ask the same questions as you ask at a level three, but instead of you gathering the information, you're now trying to test how much the other person knows and thinks and is aware of that situation and what they would then do with it. So you're shifting the, the, the focus about how you approach it. Can you it. give us an example? On level three. Um, so, for instance, I could ask, you know, how many times has this happened in the last month? Well, when someone says it happened twice in the last month, I'm thinking, right, twice. What does that mean? Oh, that means we haven't really thought of such and such. Right. And I ask another question because I'm trying to solve the problem. Yeah. But if I ask, how many times has it happened in the last month? And he said twice. Well, my next question would be, what does that mean to you? What, have you, what insights can you get from that? Yep. So I'm turning the question into them learning from it. And then a level five is what I call a breakthrough question. And a breakthrough question is when the leader asks those questions and the person goes, oh, man, that's a really good question. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. And they really have to go down inside their own thought process and develop some, some thoughts around how they could answer that. And it's a real way of developing a person. So I know you're probably going to ask me for a, uh, an example of that. So if, if someone was going to do something and they were quite nervous about it, you might ask, well, what's the worst that could happen in this situation? Ooh, right, okay, let me have a think about that. Okay, well, what's the best that could happen in the situation? Okay, well, what do you think you would do then? So you're making them think it through for themselves. So it's what I call a breakthrough. So level one is naive questions. Level two, superior questions, trying to demonstrate you're the expert. Level three is using questions so I solve the problem as a leader. Level four is asking questions so that they think it through and find ways forward of solving the problem. And level five is helping them make breakthroughs so they can see things for themselves. Got you, got you. And um, there's, going to be no, there's going to be no set answer for this, but um, can you give us an, an idea of how long it would take a leader to develop um, in terms of becoming a coach, maybe from going from level three to a level four in terms of that, that type of questioning? Um, I appreciate that every individual is different, but, but I guess typically, how long would it take a leader to become a coach? Great question, great question. It's how long is a piece of string, but I, 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 it's a flippant answer, really. In my experience, if they commit to doing level one and really engage with that, then that will take them a couple of months to feel comfortable in that environment utilising pattern questions. If they did it on their own to level two, they would probably struggle. And the reason for that is it takes a huge level of self-commitment uh, self-conscious and discipline to drive from a closed questioning approach into an open questioning approach. So I would guide them that if they got some support on how to coach, went through a course, you know, one, two or three day course on how to coach, how to listen more effectively, how to ask open questions, how to structure questions, how to help people set goals, how to build rapport, how to understand what's most important. If they went through a basic course, that another year would develop their capability to be able to ask it more at a level two. If they added psychology onto that, maybe another two years to get to that. And then people who have probably been doing it for three, four, five years probably can ask, you know, quite, quite good breakthrough questions um, within the conversation. Wow. 
Wow. So how do, does somebody stay motivated to continue on this journey? If it's that, that length of time, um, how do you keep a business engaged in, in, the, in, the, in the journey and the development? How do you keep individuals engaged in the development um, to, to, where, to where they should be or where they want to get to? Um, how, do, how do you maintain that momentum? So, to be fair, any real skill takes a long time to do it. You know, you've, you've read Malcolm Gladwell's books, uh, you know, where he talks about 10,000 yeah. hours and things like that. If you want to become an expert in something, it's going to take a lot of practice. I mean, it's not strictly two 10,000 hours, but it's going to take a lot of practice. Uh, and, and the practice that you would get, the more you apply it, the quicker you learn. And so the two things around this is, one, if you're doing it on your own, it's usually quite hard to motivate yourself. If you're in a group of people who are all practicing it and you're supporting each other, it can be a bit more reinforcing. If you've got someone from outside who supports you and helps you push through some of the challenges and obstacles that you've got, it will happen even quicker. It's a bit like, you know, you, you work in organizations as a consultant and coach in the same way as I do. The organizations that are committed to it will probably utilize me more frequently than the organizations that are less committed to yeah. it. And the ones who are more committed to it and use me will often get their results far faster, be more sustainable and be more capable after a period of time as a result of pulling in that expertise and support. That's not me saying, you know, you've got to have an expert external person. What I am saying is it can often help you accelerate your ability to push through some of the, push through some of the constraints and challenges that you will have as a leader in trying to develop a new habit. Got you. Got you. Do you have any idea why is it, uh, why has the Eastern world grabbed it better than the, uh, or more competently than the Western world? I don't think it's that the Eastern has grabbed it better. The, the reality is Toyota over in Japan don't do too much coaching, if I'm honest. You know, they, they have a very organized structure. They approach it in a very clear way. But when they started to adopt and, and um, require themselves to work in a Western culture, they had to adapt how they approached the Western approach. And so they recognized very quickly that it, it happened much better by asking questions when they launched themselves into America and into Canada and obviously into the UK. So yes, they did have a, a, a coaching approach where they made the person think a little bit, but it was never so structured. It was more or less around level one pattern questioning and they very seldom moved up to a level two or a level three. Um, but the difference is, is that's an organization where the culture's set. It's established now, it's in many, many sites. And if you want to take a new site, open a new site or convert an old site, you'll just move a number of mentors from, from Toyota onto those sites to help develop the people in there and the leaders in there. But if you're working with another organization that doesn't have that as a reference point, then of course we need to develop a frame of reference for leaders engaging and making people think so that you develop the capability in the organization. So I don't think that they've grabbed it more. I just think there's a greater demand for us to do it in the West because of the type of people that we are. We're inventive, we're innovative, we think we know better. You know, we have, have quite strong egos. We don't necessarily follow the normal patterns of doing things. We don't want to follow routine with things. And so that is a perfect environment for people to get, for a coach to get people to think differently about what they're doing and why they would do yeah, it. Yeah, perfect, brilliant, thank you. Um, and I guess in terms of uh, leaders, what are the... Um, biggest pitfalls that you've seen them make um, or what are the biggest challenges that, you, that they need to overcome based on your experience of, uh, of, of working with leaders? Leaders, in my experience, still think that because they're a leader, what's got them where they are now is going to get them to where they need to be in the future. And the reality is it probably won't. Um, I still think a big big issue in most organizations is a real lack of meaningful investment in people. Yeah. I mean, lots of people look at Toyota, you know, I use them as a reference because I had experience with that organization. But when I came out of Toyota, I recognized that you can't just apply everything that Toyota did anywhere else. You've got to think about what those organizations need and how we adopt and adapt it into those organizations. And so one of the things I, I recognized was you can't just take what Toyota's done and put it in. You have to engage with those organizations and understand what they're trying to achieve. And Toyota talks about waste and elimination of waste and using tools and techniques and methods that help organizations eliminate the waste. 
But the issue is, is if you just copy that, you're copying their solutions, you're not copying the thinking that goes behind those solutions. So in organizations that are not Toyota, very often they, they don't really recognize the power of growing your people. And the reality is Toyota through its years has grown its people to be so capable that they can solve any problem, they can overcome any issue, and they can make any improvement to hit the business and the competitive challenges that they have because that capability exists within the staff and the workforce, not in the leaders, whereas most leaders in the Western companies, not just not all, obviously, there's lots of become quite well developed, but generally in my experience, most leaders think they know best. And the reality is they know a lot, and they're very good, but they don't know how to transfer that into their people because they don't spend anywhere near enough time engaging and challenging and making their people think so that they develop the, how their people think, so that they think for the company, but also think about how they improve what they've got right in front of them. Yeah, got you. you said earlier on that uh, the length of an engagement uh, with a business will depend upon the organisational's buy-in um, and their desire to, to get better. Are there any are there any questions or any any approach up front that you use to understand the level of buy-in? Um, getting out, talking with people is the best way of understanding it. But I would generally, I don't like doing it on my own. I like to do it with leaders in the organisation so that my questions open the door for a bigger conversation. So, you know, it, it's the questions such as, you know, what improvements have you made recently? How's that work? What have you learned from that? You know, how would you make sure it's sustainable? I use those questions on a shop floor with, with a leader standing with me. And nine times out of 10, they just walk away and they say, oh my God, I can't ask questions like that. I, don't, I never even thought of those questions. Where did you get those questions from? And they're just through years and years of experience of trying to understand what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to understand from a person, but also how I'm trying to help that person think through for themselves. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that, that, that I often have with, with people in organizations, if you were to speak to any people, anyone that spent time with me, they always say, I hate it when you come because you always leave me thinking. But I also hate it when you go because I also recognize that I've got someone who's going to challenge me the way that you do. And, and I, I love that. You know, I mean, that strap line, taking people out of comfort into excellence. And, and we grow most when we are uncomfortable. But of course, a lot of people don't like getting uncomfortable. So you have to sort of teach them a little bit around how to become uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. With um, I guess just to pick on what you've just said, then. So with automation and machine learning and um, and all the advancements in technology, do you think there'll always be a need for a coach, or do you think there'll be a time when, when um, the machine can can fulfil the role? That's an interesting question. Um, I personally don't believe that there will ever be a time where there is no need for coaches. Mm -hmm because I don't think machines can ever take over from human beings. I think there are certain things that they can do, and the intelligence uh, is definitely there for them to sort of self-teach in certain things. So certain levels of automation will definitely help organizations become more competitive. But I actually believe that, that you know, even the machines need humans to have a thought about how you actually develop that capability in the machine. That takes innovativeness. And of course, even innovativeness comes from developing people. So I still think Toyota has it the right way. It doesn't put machines in for machines' sake. It puts machines in where people shouldn't be doing that task. And it allows people to do the task where you have to do some thinking in there, some assessment, some evaluation. Yeah. So it still respects the need for people. So that's my own belief. It's a difficult one, though, because the world is changing so fast in some ways. I almost despair a little bit because I fear that one day we could actually find ourselves being run by machines with a lack of understanding about how that helps us. You know, I mean, I, I personally would not have an Alexa in my home personally because it does two things. One is it makes you lazy. And even though it helps with a lot of things, it's, inte it's intelligence and it's learning from you constantly. And it's not that I don't want people to learn from me, but I want them to learn from me at the pace that I want them to learn with what I'm trying to help them develop, not sort of picking on all the little elements which are not necessarily of value to me at this point in time. So it's a difficult one. I, I don't think there will ever be a, a replacement for people or coaches. I think there will still be a need for it. And when leaders are working at that level, there'll be an even greater need to develop people, to be innovative and creative and think 
dig through things and push past obstacles and constraints. But at the same time, we are advancing very rapidly. And, you know, it may actually go completely the other way where we, we as humans have no control over anything. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, completely random question. What's the best and worst advice you've been given? Best and worst advice? Uh, worst advice was utilisation. Just make yourself utilise. Be busy. You know, make, make sure you just do what, what you know what, what seems to be the right thing to do without really considering whether it gives us a return on in, on, on your time or investment or effort. Um, so was a, I can remember years ago when I worked in organisations before I became more uh, uh, aware of what I know now. You know, it, it was very definite uh, an environment. Was, it doesn't matter what you do, just be busy. Just keep busy. And I still hear that in some organisations now. It doesn't really matter as long as we're busy. As long as we utilise our equipment, as long as the people are fully utilised. But if you're utilised on producing non-value-added waste and you're not developing that person and how they can think and what they could really do and what improvements they could make, you're wasting your time. You're not going to develop the organisation. So that's the worst advice. Yeah. Best advice I've ever been given. I wouldn't say it was advice so much. It was probably more a realisation that actually human beings, people, have far more potential than they will ever really apply in their life. Far more potential. You know, if you if you think what you're capable of, not you, you or I, anybody thinks about what they're capable of, there is a limitation on that. And that limitation is self-made, or rather self-made and conditioned into us. And so I think my experience and my role as a coach is to release help release some of that potential that is holding someone back. That You know, I'll, I'll be honest now, I've coached people over the last 20 years. I've coached uh, people in business who've gone on to become multimillionaires. I'm not saying it was down to me, the intelligence existed in them. But I probably opened a few doors and set them on a path where they became you know, very successful. And these were broken people when I first met them. I've coached people who were middle managers into being very, very senior managers in charge of one or several plants. And, you know, and I can look back now and they still call me up and say, can you give me some advice? And I say, no, I'm not going to give you any advice, but I'll ask you two questions. You know, and so it's this whole idea. It's not advice, but it's the idea that human beings have massive potential. Leaders have a responsibility to try and help realize some of that potential in their organization, but it's going to take a shift in how they do, how they approach it, how they lead to get the best of yeah if you could if you could coach somebody anybody in the world who would it be and why cool that's a really interesting question i don't have any one particular person i think i just love coaching anybody that is committed to wanting to be better yeah and i use the word committed you know i have a i have a frame of reference commitment is one thing uh, and a lot of people don't understand what commitment means. But there's, there's, there's a great um, there's a great comparison that you can make. It's if you're committed to doing something, you will do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, you will put so much into it that there's no room for anything more against that particular thing. If you're interested in doing something, you'll only do it if you've got time for, if it's convenient for you to do it. And so for me, when I engage with anybody that is committed to their own development and the development of their organization, they'll get, they'll get 150% of that. Yeah, yeah. Is there any advice on, on how somebody can be more committed? Because I think having that, that purpose or that desire or that commitment, exactly like you say, is key to success. Um, is, there, is there any, how would you coach somebody to be more committed? Commitment comes through clarity. Commitment comes through clarity of knowing what you want to achieve and have it, it, it having a real meaning for you, you know, a sense of purpose. If you've ever read or studied anything that Simon Sinek talks about, he talks about the why, the big why. And so, you know, if you want to great gain commitment, you have to understand what's the purpose of that person doing this thing. You know, why is it important to them? And then you have to understand a little bit about what the motivational factors are and a little bit possibly around what their values are. Because, of course, it's very hard for someone to be committed to something if it doesn't align with their own values. Yeah. 
and it's hard for them to be committed to something if they don't have a clarity of the purpose behind it. Um, I mean, I, one of the things I will often do in organisations is, is try and find out what's important to people. Um, you know, and, and that's fundamentally the question around what's what do you value most? I mean, for me, you know, as I say before, I race motorbikes, ride motorbikes, did it for a number of years, very successful in a number of championships, enjoyed it. You know, when you actually break Mike Dennison down and put me through the middle, you'll see my values, and my values are adventure, helping other people, solving problems, courage, um, problem, uh, said solving problems, uh, courage, and you could probably put it under there, you know, really wanting to make a difference. Uh, and that's who I am, so it's very easy for me to do what I want to do. If I'm working with a leader, I will try and find out what's most important to them because then I can align, help them align their goals with their values and their sense of purpose. And that in itself can help build up their commitments. Got you, got you, perfect, thank you. So if, if somebody wanted to be a coach, um, what do you think the, the top three or four or five criteria are for being um, uh, an amazing coach? Um, don't think it's as simple as criteria. I think there's two parts to it. There's there's a mindset that sits behind it. So if you want to be a brilliant coach, your mindset has to be on the other person. Yeah. It's less about you and it's more about them. And it's very much on seeing the potential in that person and recognizing that they have the capability to grow and develop into a more successful person than they might be now. So there's a mindset in there, a growth mindset that's in there. Um, there's also a, a, about developing some capabilities, about being patient, about listening, about um, uh, being hu humble, you know, a level of humility in there, being curious. So there's, some, there's some, some qualities that sit behind it. But in addition to that, you can't really do it unless you take some sort of, I'll use the word formal training, but what I, will, I mean is some sort of structured learning whether it be studying books and then practicing it or working with somebody who can actually help you to develop the fundamentals of coaching. And the five fundamentals that I would guide and I teach when I do my, my coach training sessions are you have to have the ability to ask, uh, so you have to have the ability to actively listen, focus listening, you know, where you basically push everything behind you uh, and focus on the other person. You have to develop the ability to ask creative questions that force the other person to think. You have to have the ability to help people set meaningful goals and structure their goals. You have to have the ability to have a meaningful conversation, whether it's Tigro or Create or Fuel. There's so many different models you've got, but you know, use a model or something to get you into the pattern of doing it so it becomes familiar. And then you also have to have the ability to build a relationship with somebody and develop rapport. If you can develop those five skills or those five elements, then you can practice on becoming a better coach. And the likelihood is, once you've got those five, you'll study other things. I'm still studying now. I'm still learning now. You know, I'm 65 now. And over the last 10 years, I've probably spent about 15 to 20,000 on my continuous development and learning because... I don't believe I can ever stop being a good enough coach. I am always looking for to get to the next level so I can help people. Yeah, perfect. What um, what does an executive coach have for the tea? What does an executive coach have for the yeah. tea? Uh, uh, I actually don't know about tonight. If I had a choice about what I would like to have, it would be a very nice fish pie. Oh, you've always got a choice, have you? Or, or, or do you not? Is, does, is this an insight into Mike's oh, life? I, I, no, no, I have a choice. I get asked what I want, but sometimes because I'm busy, uh, my wife chooses it for me. Uh, you know, my family chooses it for me, and that's generally because you know that they take responsibility. But they never serve me anything I don't. Oh, like. perfect, perfect. You've got you've got them well trained, or you've coached them well over the years, one or the other. Um, what's next for Mike Dennison? Uh, well, what's next tomorrow is I'm working on this executive workshop around uh, building a team. Uh, I've got a whole range of things coming up in the near future around uh, a stakeholder enforcement process that I'm doing with a, a group. Um, I'm developing some new training or facilitated learning courses uh, with a few friends of mine that we're launching over the next few months. So quite a busy few months. Um, and then in the social side of things, I'll be at the Isle of Man TT in June. I'll be at the Manx Grand Prix in, in August. I'm going to the Isle of Man in April where I'm going to ride around the TT circuit for 48 hours dressed as Evil Knievel. Oh, fantastic. 
charity. So a bit of yeah, fun. No, fan- fantastic. And, and if anybody wanted to connect with you, learn from you a little bit more, how would they do that? Uh, well, LinkedIn is a good one. Mike Dennison. Um, Mike Dennison. Uh, I'm a fellow of the Institute of uh, Consulting. Um, you'll see my strap line, which is uh, taking people out of comfort into excellence. Uh, all my information is on there. Uh, people wanted to connect with me. That's probably the best way. It's the most uh, easy way. I will always respond to people. If people send me a message, I'll respond. If people connect with me, I usually respond with uh, trying to understand a little bit about you know, how we can support each other. Uh, and I post on there, not not overly regularly, but you know, often enough, and I try to give value when I post. Perfect. And one final question from me, mate, uh, and that your strap line then, it ends in the word excellence. What does excellence mean to you? Excellence means it's a continuous evolving um, capability. So excellence today can be better tomorrow. Um, so excellence is doing the very best that you can with the resources and the capabilities that you have at this time. Uh, and, you know, constantly looking for ways in which you can increase on that. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much again for your time. Uh, time today has been uh, really useful. I've got made loads of notes, got loads of points, and uh, and and I think it'll be a really well received podcast. So thank you, thank you very much for that. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure sharing what I've got. And um, if you ever want to talk again, Lee, uh, anytime, just give us a call and we can uh, we can talk about stuff. And again, if I can help in any way, I'm willing to. Do Cheers, that. Mike. Much appreciated. Take care. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.